Regeneration by Pat Barker Read by Peter Firth Part One Chapter One Finished with the War A Soldier's Declaration I am making this statement as an act of willful defiance of military authority because I believe the war is being deliberately prolonged by those who have the power to end it. I am a soldier, convinced that I am acting on behalf of soldiers. I believe that this war, upon which I entered as a war of defence and liberation, has now become a war of aggression and conquest. I believe that the purposes for which I and my fellow soldiers entered upon this war should have been so clearly stated as to have made it impossible to change them, and that, had this been done, the objects which actuated us would now be attainable by negotiation. I have seen and endured the suffering of the troops, and I can no longer be a party to prolong these sufferings for ends which I believe to be evil and unjust. I am not protesting against the conduct of the war, but against the political errors and insincerities for which the fighting men are being sacrificed. On behalf of those who are suffering now, I make this protest against the deception which is being practised on them. Also, I believe that I may help to destroy the callous complacence with which the majority of those at home regard the continuance of agonies which they do not share and which they have not sufficient imagination to realise. S. Sassoon, July, 1917 Bryce waited for Rivers to finish reading before he spoke again. The S stands for Siegfried. Apparently he thought that was better left out. And I'm sure he was right. Rivers folded the paper and ran his fingertips along the edge. So they're sending him here. Bryce smiled. Oh, I think it's rather more specific than that. They're sending him to you. Rivers got up and walked across to the window. It was a fine day, and many of the patients were in the hospital grounds watching a game of tennis. He heard the pock, pock of rackets and a cry of frustration as a ball smashed into the net. I suppose he is shell-shocked. According to the board, yes. It just occurs to me that a diagnosis of neurasthenia might not be inconvenient confronted with this. He held up the declaration. Colonel Langdon chaired the board. He certainly seems to think he is. Langdon doesn't believe in shell-shock. Bryce shrugged. Perhaps Sassoon was gibbering all over the floor. Funk, old boy. I know Langdon. Rivers came back to his chair and sat down. He doesn't sound as if he's gibbering, does he? Bryce said carefully, Does it matter what his mental state is? Surely it's better for him to be here than in prison. Better for him, perhaps. What about the hospital? Can you imagine what our dear Director of Medical Services is going to say when he finds out we're sheltering conches as well as cowards, shirkers, scrimshankers and degenerates? We'll just have to hope there's no publicity. There's going to be, I'm afraid. The declaration's going to be read out in the House of Commons next week. By Lisa Smith. Rivers made a dismissive gesture. Yes, well, I know, but it still means the press. And the minister will say that no disciplinary action has been taken because Mr. Sassoon is suffering from a severe mental breakdown and therefore not responsible for his actions. I'm not sure I'd prefer that to prison. I don't suppose he was offered the choice. Will you take him? You mean I am being offered a choice? In view of your caseload, yes. Rivers took off his glasses and swept his hand down across his eyes. I suppose they have remembered to send the file. Sassoon leant out of the carriage window, still half expecting to see Graves come pounding along the platform, 
looking even more dishevelled than usual. But further down the train, doors had already begun to slam, and the platform remained empty. The whistle blew. Immediately he saw lines of men with grey, muttering faces clambering up the ladders to face the guns. He blinked them away. The train began to move. Too late for Robert now. Prisoner arrives without escort, Sassoon thought, sliding open the carriage door. By arriving an hour early, he'd managed to get a window seat. He began picking his way across to it through the tangle of feet. An elderly vicar, two middle-aged men, both looking as if they'd done rather well out of the war, a young girl and an older woman obviously travelling together. The train bumped over a point. Everybody rocked and swayed, and Sassoon, stumbling, almost fell into the vicar's lap. He mumbled an apology and sat down. Admiring glances, and not only from the women. Sassoon turned to look out of the window, hunching his shoulder against them all. After a while he stopped pretending to look at the smoking chimneys of Liverpool's back streets and closed his eyes. He needed to sleep, but instead Robert's face floated in front of him, white and twitching as it had been last Sunday, almost a week ago now, in the lounge of the Exchange Hotel. For a moment, looking up to find that khaki-clad figure standing just inside the door, he thought he was hallucinating again. Robert, what on earth are you doing here? He jumped up and ran across the lounge. Thank God you've come. I got myself past fit. Robert, no. What else could I do after getting this? Graves dug into his tunic pocket and produced a crumpled piece of paper. A covering letter would have been nice. I wrote. No, you didn't, Sass. You just sent me this. Couldn't you at least have talked about it first? I thought I'd written. They sat down, facing each other across a small table. Cold northern light streamed in through the high windows, draining Graves' face of the little colour it had. Sass, you've got to give this up. Give it up? You don't think I've come this far, do you, just to give in now? Look, you've made your protest. For what it's worth, I agree with every word of it. But you've had your say. There's no point making a martyr of yourself. The only way I can get publicity is to make them court-martial me. They won't do it. Oh, yes, they will. It's just a matter of hanging on. You're in no state to stand a court-martial. Graves clasped his clenched fist. If I had Russell here now, I'd shoot him. It was my idea. Oh, pull the other one. And even if it was, do you think anybody's going to understand it? They just say you've got cold feet. Look, Robert, you think exactly as I do about the war, and you do nothing. All right, that's your choice. But don't come here lecturing me about cold feet. This is the hardest thing I've ever done. Now, on the train going to Craig Lockhart, it still seemed the hardest thing. He shifted in his seat and sighed, looking out over fields of wheat bending to the wind. He remembered the silvery sound of shaken wheat, the shimmer of light on the stalks. He'd have given anything to be out there, away from the stuffiness of the carriage, the itch and constriction of his uniform. On that Sunday they'd taken the train to Formby and spent the afternoon wandering aimlessly along the beach, a dull, wintry-looking sun cast their shadows far behind them, so that every gesture either of them made was mimicked and magnified. They won't let you make a martyr of yourself, Sass. You should have accepted the board. The discussion had become repetitive, for perhaps the fourth time Sassoon said, If I hold out long enough, there's nothing else they can do. There's a lot they can do. Graves seemed to come to a decision. As a matter of fact, I've been pulling a few strings on your behalf. Sassoon smiled to hide his anger. Good. If you've been exercising your usual tact, that ought to get me at least two years. They won't court-martial you. 
In spite of himself, Sassoon began to feel afraid. What then? Shut you up in a lunatic asylum for the rest of the war. And that's the result of your string-pulling, is it? Thanks. No, the result of my string-pulling is to get you another board. You must take it this time. You can't put people in lunatic asylums just like that. You have to have reasons. They've got reasons. Yes, the declaration. Well, that doesn't prove me insane. And the hallucinations? The corpses in Piccadilly? A long silence. I had rather hoped my letters to you were private. I had to persuade them to give you another board. They won't court-martial me? No, not in any circumstances. And if you go on refusing to be boarded, they will put you away. You know, Robert, I wouldn't believe this from anybody else. Will you swear it's true? Yes. On the Bible? Graves held up an imaginary Bible and raised his right hand. I swear. Their shadows stretched out behind them, black on the white sand. For a moment, Sassoon still hesitated. Then, with an odd little gasp, he said, All right, then. I'll give way. In the taxi, going to Craig Lockhart, Sassoon began to feel frightened. He looked out of the window at the crowded pavements of Princess Street, thinking he was seeing them for the first and last time. He couldn't imagine what awaited him at Craig Lockhart, but he didn't for a moment suppose the inmates were let out. He glanced up and found the taxi driver watching him in the mirror. All the local people must know the name of the hospital and what it was for. Sassoon's hand went up to his chest and began pulling at a loose thread where his MC ribbon had been. For conspicuous gallantry during a raid on the enemy's trenches, he remained for one and a half hours under rifle and bomb.